0: We have been in Romans 12 since the start of the year, looking at what it means to live our lives as living sacrifices, which to me is the perfect uh, image of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to offer your whole self to Christ on the altar every single day. You know, that's how the the Old Testament Israelites worshipped. They didn't go and sit in a building and listen to a sermon and sing songs. They brought the best of what they had and the priest offered it to God. And when when a good sacrifice, meaning a sacrifice that came from a repentant heart, that was offered in the right way, when a good sacrifice was offered, the Bible says that God was pleased with it, that he smelled a sweet aroma. Every time I walk into McKenzie's or any other barbecue place, I smell a sweet aroma, right? But this is different. It wasn't just the smell of the meat roasting, it was the scent of a, of a heart that was totally given over to him, a, a heart that said, I need you, Lord, and so my whole self is yours. I give you my best. What pleases the Lord more than anything today is when we offer ourselves fully to him. Just us. It doesn't take anything else. Just us. As we continue talking about what it means to be a living sacrifice, last week we saw that this is not something you can do on your own. You can't just sit at home and read the Bible and try your best to obey the commandments and then you're a disciple. No, you have to be part of a local body, the church. We talked about what it meant to love those within the church. It's not always easy because within this room, although I like everybody here, you may not. Okay, I, I've gotten to know people pretty well and God has has shown me uh, the, the wonderful uh, diversity of our church. But you may find there's people here you don't really care for, and yet God brings us together around the cross and teaches us to love through the little laboratory that is the church. And you might remember last week, I challenged you to practice hospitality, to go to someone that you don't know well, maybe someone new to the church, or maybe someone you've never taken the time to get to know, and just invite them over. I hope you, some of you have done that, and if not, I hope you will soon. Next week, we'll talk about how to love people outside the church. But today I want to focus on one verse and one verse only, and that's verse 16. It says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. You may say, Jeff, there's 31 verses. Why are you going to stick to just one today? And the truth is, any one of the verses in chapter 12 would make a sermon by far. But I'm focusing on this one because, as Nathan said earlier, we're talking about humility. I think there's a great misunderstanding about what that word means. It doesn't mean thinking lowly of yourself. It means not thinking of yourself at all. It's not something that, where you're saying, I'm no, I'm no good, I'm, I'm worthless, who would want someone like me? No, you're fully aware that you're a child of God created in his image with spiritual gifts, with potential, with, with infinite ability to change the world for good. You're just not fixated on yourself. One of the reasons I want to talk about it today is I think it's the key to loving those inside and outside the church. And also because we live in a culture that claims to admire humility, but doesn't actually reward it. Let me explain what I mean. If an actor wins the Academy Award and then they get up and they say, I look at all these other nominees and I realize they should be up here instead of me. Or if uh, an athlete wins the most valuable player award and then says, well, I'm going to shout out to my teammates because I'm nothing without you. We say, oh, that's so classy. Good job. We claim to admire humility, but our culture is set up so that humility is never rewarded by our culture. Look at the way we, we run for office. And I'm not talking about local offices. It's very possible in, in a local office, uh, political office, to run with humility and integrity and, and, and win because you get to know those people face-to-face. They're your neighbors. But I'm talking about on a national level for president, for senator, for governor. Humility is going to lose every single time. You win by saying, elect me and I will save America. Elect the other guy and it'll be a barren, desolate hellscape, right? That's, that's how we campaign today. Humility doesn't earn us any money in our economy. It doesn't make us famous, doesn't put us on album covers or, or, or magazine covers. It doesn't make us Instagram influencers. It doesn't, if we're single, humility doesn't get us a date. Humility doesn't benefit us in any tangible way. Our culture is set up to reward pride, not humility, because pride is the opposite of humility. Let me define pride for you. First of all, by saying what I'm not talking about when I'm talking about pride, I'm not talking about the English word proud or pride. There's nothing wrong, for instance, with saying, I'm proud of my son. He made Dean's List. I'm proud of my daughter. She's doing a great job uh, of raising my grandchildren. I'm, I'm proud of my dad for being a, a good father. That, that's a good thing. Or saying, I take pride in my work. That is a righteous thing because the Bible commends doing everything you do with all your heart. I'm not talking about the English word pride. I'm talking about the biblical concept of pride, which comes down to I am, it's all about me. It's all about me and what I want out of life. Pride is self-centeredness. And by the way, it's not just swaggering boastfulness. That's what we think of when we think of pride. But I don't know anybody who acts like that. I mean, I see them on TV. I know they exist. I just don't know anybody in my personal day-to-day life who swaggers around acting like they're God's gift to the world. So our pride tends to manifest in a lot of different ways. Pride is insidious. It has a lot of weird little mysterious tentacles that get into our lives in ways that we don't expect. For instance, being easily offended is a form of pride because you're saying, I have high standards and you didn't meet them. Being uh, self-pity is a form of pride. And you may think, oh, no, no, that's humility. I'm thinking about how worthless I am. No, no, you are fixated on your own sufferings and your own lowliness your own state in life, and you want everyone to know about your suffering and your lowliness, that's pride. When you are extremely certain of your opinions, you have hard opinions on every subject, and you want everyone to know, and you have to fight about every single thing, that's Definitely a form of pride that our culture uh, is obsessed with putting your dreams and desires ahead of everything else saying nothing will stop me from getting to what I want out of life. That's a form of pride. You put your dreams ahead of people and I could go on. And if I kept going on, I guarantee you, I'd, I'd say something that you'd say, Ooh, that's me because all of us struggle with pride. Pride is the root of all of our sin. It's the reason why the two people who were the most blessed people who've ever lived on earth could sit in the Garden of Eden and say, yeah, but I want that too. (laughs) I've got everything I could possibly want, but I want that too. And God says, no, but God doesn't really know what's right for me. All of our sin comes about when we say, I know God says this, but I want that. That's pride. Search Search in on the internet when you get home, or you can do it right now. You've got a phone in your pocket that can probably do the work. But search scriptures about humility, and you will see how big a topic this is in the Bible. We don't talk about it a lot. I guarantee you, if a megachurch pastor advertised, next week I'm doing a whole 10-week sermon series on humility, his attendance would not increase because we don't want to know about this stuff. But search scriptures about humility, and you'll see how big a topic this is in the Bible. Let me just give you a sampling, okay? Ready? Proverbs 18.12 says, Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. If you grew up like I did with the King James Version, it's pride goes before fall. Micah 6.8 he has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Philippians 2, verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Luke fourteen, eleven: For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Mark 9, 25, if anyone would be first, he must be the last of all and the servant of all. And then Mark 10, 43 through 45, Jesus says, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I find it so ironic and I was just thinking about it a while ago while Nathan was talking in church, we we just don't understand the power of true humility because we keep trying to make a big deal out of quote-unquote Christian celebrities. And I'm not casting doubt on the salvation of any famous person who stands on a stage and proclaims Jesus. I'm glad to see that. But we get so excited about that because we feel like, oh, if this quarterback or if this rock star, if this if this politician affirms my faith, then that's going to advance our cause, and I guarantee you. It's people of true humility that advance the cause of Christ far more than anybody on a TV screen. Is it your ambition? I'm asking you. Is it your ambition to become humble, to forget about yourself and put others first? Is that your ambition in life? If not, you're not really following Jesus. Because you can't follow Jesus and put yourself first. You have to choose. But let me give you a warning. Pride is a stubborn opponent. Let me me tell you a story that illustrates this from Scripture. So Exodus 12.3 says, Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. That's quite a statement. The most humble man on earth at the time. And the context of that statement is that Moses has been leading the Israelites for years. They're in the wilderness. And all of a sudden, seemingly out of nowhere, His own brother and sister, Aaron and Miriam, stand up before the people and say, why are we listening to Moses? Why not listen to us? We've been here all along serving God too. Why don't we get some credit also? And in the meantime, they're attacking Moses' wife because they don't like her either. And Moses doesn't fight back. He doesn't lash out like you and I would. He He doesn't say, well, let me tell you some things about Aaron and Miriam. I've known them my whole life. Let me tell you some of their deep, dark, dirty secrets. He keeps quiet. He he trusts in God to vindicate him. Moses was the most humble man on earth. And yet just a few years later, we read this other story in Numbers 20. Moses uh, has been criticized again by the people. They've said, what did you, you foolish old man? What have you brought us out here into the wilderness to all die of thirst? And God says to him, just go speak to that rock. Command that rock to produce water. And it will. And the people will drink. But instead, Moses goes over and strikes the rock. And the water pours out. But God says, you have dishonored me before these people. You have not shown me to be holy. And therefore, you will not go into the promised land. Now, I remember, I I distinctly remember as a little boy when my mom, who used to tell me Bible stories before bed every night when I was little. And she told me that story. And I thought, I didn't say anything. But I thought, boy, that's really unfair. One little temper tantrum, and Moses doesn't get to go in the promised land after all the good things he did. And in fact, even into adulthood, I didn't understand that story. And then someone pointed out, it's not that he hit the rock. It's what he said when he hit the rock. Look what it says in in Numbers 20, verse 10. Before he hits the rock, he says, Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Wait a second. Shall who bring water out of this rock? Moses forgot that it's God who does the work. God is the one with the power. Moses was so angry, so consumed with his own resentment for the people, those ungrateful people who he had led out of slavery, who he had led across the Red Sea, who he had led to eat the man. Wait a second. No, he didn't do any of that. God did that. Moses had grown prideful. The most humble man on the face of the earth had become a man who suddenly thought it was him who was doing the miracles. That can happen to you and it can happen to me and it will, it will. I grew up in the country and that meant for two thirds of the year, every time I went out the door, my mom said, watch out for snakes every single time. Two thirds of the year, every year, watch out for snakes. You got shoes on? Which I love to go barefoot. We had a rule. We had mostly copperheads where I lived. So if you, if, if you saw a copperhead, whoever saw the copperhead, the rule was you yell for somebody else to go get a hoe. You stay there and watch the snake because you don't want to get away. And then when that person runs and gets a hoe, you come and you neatly behead the snake, right? But we were told your danger is not over at that point because the head of the snake can still bite you after it's been separated from its body. Some of you are shaking your head. You know that and that's like pride. You never, ever let down your guard against the pride in your own heart. Another Christian writer, Frederica Matthews Green, said something I've never forgotten. She said, pride every day builds a cardboard fortress in your heart that humility has to tear down. Every day, your own heart builds this fortress against God where I'm king and God can't touch me, and humility has to tear it down. That's a battle you have to fight every day. But how? How do we overcome pride with humility? All right, so finally we get to Romans 12:16. It says, "Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly." In the literal Greek, if you translated that literally to English, it would be not thinking high things, but submitting to lowly things." In other words, This attitude that we celebrate in our culture that says, I deserve better than this. I deserve better than these losers that I'm hanging around with. I deserve a better class of friends. This is what Romans 12, 16 is preaching against. And it reminds me of something Jesus said, this party advice, you might say, we got the Super Bowl coming up a, a week from today. Some of you might be thinking about having friends over to the house. Luke, 12, Luke 14, 12-14 says, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return, and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, I said that about the Super Bowl party, but the truth is there's nothing wrong with, if you read the whole scripture, don't just take this verse out of context, there's nothing wrong with spending time with your family and your friends. In fact, the rest of the Bible talks about how good those things are. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is stop being a person like every other person on earth who just associates with people who are useful to them who just spends time with people who can benefit you financially because I, I there's a potential client that I can sell things to or somebody who can advance you socially, somebody who can advance you career-wise. Don't just use people, but love people. Make sure you spend time also with and honor people who have nothing to offer you simply because you say that person matters to God because they're made in his image, because Jesus died for him. And who else is going to be their friend if not me? That's what it is to be humble. In other words, humility, we think humility is when someone is modest and they refuse to accept compliments or accept praise. That's not humility. Humility is seen not in what we say, but in how we treat people. That's the ultimate demonstration of humility. Do you serve others? Do you serve others, especially those who can't help you? But then he goes further. After saying, don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Then he says, never be wise in your own sight. Now, why does he say that? Because he knows how sneaky pride is. Let's say you and I do that. Let's say we this week we say, okay, there's a person over there who as far as I know they have no friends. I'm going to invite them over to my house or I'm going to take them out to lunch or I'm just going to spend some time with them or I'm going to go volunteer on Tuesday at the homeless lunch that we have or a meal that we serve or in one of our other ministries. I'm going to spend some time helping those who need help. Good for you. You know what's going to happen though? You know what the danger of that is? You're going to walk away saying, Man, I don't know any of my other friends that would have done that. I am such a good person. Pride is sneaky. So this happened to me a few months ago at Walmart. So I'd gone to Walmart, whatever, they, whatever I was looking for, they didn't have it. This has been months ago. I can't remember what it was. Um, not that I need to tell you. but uh, <laughs> So I'm walking out to my car, and y'all have been to the Walmart parking lot, right? It's a, it's a zoo. And I'm walking and cars are just, and and then I notice there's an elderly lady on one of those little scooters with, with a shopping cart on it, right? And she's right in front of me and I'm walking behind her and I'm thinking, I should probably help her. And she stops at, at, her, at the back of her car, and I, I walk up and I say, ma'am, would you like me to unload your groceries for you? And she says, oh, that would be so wonderful. So it doesn't take long. There's not many in there. But I unload these groceries into her trunk. And I'm feeling really good about myself. I'm thinking, I'm not even going to tell her I'm the pastor of First Baptist Conroe. I don't want to make it sound like I'm some kind of martyr. I just, I'm just one guy doing a really good deed. And, and then she says, okay, now take it back for me. Laughter and I said, What? She <laughs> said, Yeah, it's it's just just drive it on back into the store and they'll they'll put it up for you. I'm like, well I didn't offer to do that. I, I'm not saying this out loud, but I'm thinking, Okay, first of all, my car's right over there and I've got places to be. Second of all, I'm an able bodied human being. I mean I'm I'm in the prime of my life, right? It's, or, you know, within 20 years of it. And so, I I don't need a... People are going to see me riding that cart. And and, I've, and so... But she just says it, matter of fact. Okay, take this back. For, and so, okay. And there's no other way to do it than to ride it. And so, I get on it and I think, okay. Okay, if I got to do this, I'm just going to open this puppy up and get it there as fast as I can. Y'all, I don't know if this was just low on charge or if this is how fast they go. But... I mean, all the way open, it was like a, a turtle on Benadryl. I mean, it was like, it was like, e-! and, and I'm just thinking, oh gosh, covering my hand, you know. And I thought, I just had to laugh at myself that, that God just knew what he was doing. Um, I was like, yeah, yeah, help that old lady. Yeah, see what happens. But that's how sneaky pride is. So you can't just help people and expect it to make you humble. You can, you can be uh, the next Mother Teresa. You can give your life to a leper colony, and you could be the most arrogant person on earth because what would your heart say? No one else is as kind as I am. No one else does the kinds of good deeds I do. So when it says never be wise in your own sight, it, it it's saying be aware of your own heart. Be aware of how much you need the power of God to truly be humble. We need God's power to change us every single day. So I'm challenging you. This is the the challenge of this message. If you don't already do this, pray for humility. Pray that God would make you humble. You know when you can stop when you stand in heaven? That's how long you'll have to fight this battle. But I'm, I'm challenging you to pray that God would make you humble. You might be saying, well, Jeff, what's going to happen? What's going to happen to me if I pray for humility? Let me just tell you what has happened to me since I've been praying for humility. Two things. First of all, God sends me truth tellers. God puts people in my life who love me enough that they love me, but they're not in awe of me. And so they're going to say, you did this wrong. You need to change this. You need to apologize for that. You need to work on this. God sends me truth tellers. I don't have a lot of them, but I have enough of them. But the second thing is God continues to make me aware of my weakness and sin. And not in the way of an abusive parent who says, you can do no right. God makes me very aware of his love and my worth. But more like a doctor who tells me the true source of my pain. If tomorrow I wake up with 104 fever and I go see the doctor and he does all kinds of tests and realizes that there's an infection in my body, but he doesn't want me to worry. So he says, oh, you just go home and spend a couple of days watching TV and, and, and eating ice cream and, and you'll be fine. That'll make me feel better, but it wouldn't be love. Love. He needs to tell me the source of my pain. He needs to attack what's causing this. And so God loves me enough that he continues to make me aware of the sin in my life so I can get rid of it, so I can get rid of it by confessing it to him and by repenting, and so he can change me. And that keeps me humble. That makes me more humble every single time. Pray for humility. And you'll learn what it is to forget about yourself, to depend upon God, to love him all the more and to see people around you, it doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter how much money they have. It doesn't matter whether they meet your standards. That's another person for whom Christ died. That's another person that God loves. That's what it means to be humble. Now, last thing. Why should we seek it? I started by saying humility won't put another dime in your bank account humility won't make you famous it won't make you successful why if there's no earthly tangible benefits to humility why should we seek it well i've got two reasons but first i need to i need to tell you a story from the scriptures so let's go back to that story about jesus teaching us who we should invite to parties right in luke In Luke 14, we read that Jesus was invited to dinner at the home of a prominent Pharisee. Now, I guarantee you this is something that rarely happened to Jesus. At this point in his life, he was essentially a homeless, wandering rabbi. Every day, he scrounged for what to eat. It wasn't often that he got to go into a nice house around the, the best people in town and and feast on well-aged mutton and, and fine wine from sometime back in the B.C.s, right? So you would think that he would be grateful, that he would be very solicitous, that he would compliment the host, that he would, he would be on his best behavior and not want to cause any offense to anyone. But instead, from the very beginning of the party, he starts stepping on people's toes intentionally. He starts by saying, I noticed that all of you were jostling for the seat of honor. In, the, in that culture... It was thought that the closer you sat to the host of the party, the more honored you were. And so he could see them jostling for that place of honor. And he said, you know, what would be really smart is if you sat at the the most dishonorable place so that in front of everybody, the host would say, hey, what are you doing down there? Come on up here. And in the same way, it's so much better if we don't try to get honor for ourselves, but instead let God exalt us. For those who humble themselves will be exalted, but those who exalt themselves will be brought low. Now, that's kind of a rude thing to say. That essentially offends everybody in the party. And he goes further. That's when he offers that advice about who to invite to a party. Anybody can look around the room and see that the only people at this party are the best of society. And a guy in the party tries to bail Jesus out, tries to change the subject. And he says, he says uh, blessed, is the, blessed are those who feast in the kingdom of God which is a way of saying, like we would say today, well, how about those astros, right? Just kind of change the subject. Let's talk about something we all agree about. Well, won't it be great when we someday feast in the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, oh, you want to talk about the kingdom of God? All right, well, let's talk about it. And he tells a story. There was a certain rich man, he says, who decided to throw a big banquet And he prepared all this food and he sent out a save the date to all of his guests so that they would be ready on the day that the food was ready. And so on the day the food was ready, he sent out his servants to gather all the guests and every single one of them made excuses, all really lame excuses, but they all made excuses and they all came back and said, Lord, we can't we can't bring anybody. He says, well, then forget about them. They can starve. Go out and find the poor and the blind and the crippled and the lame and bring them in. So they do. And the banquet hall is full of these people, but the servants say there's still plenty of room. And he says, well, then go out to the sticks, go out to the, to the highways and the hedges, to people who've never even heard of me and compel them to come, persuade them to come. You get them here and they'll be glad they came, but my banquet hall will be full. And, of course, in the story, not every detail, like all parables, not every detail reflects reality. The, the point of the story is someday there will be a feast, there will be a, a, a great celebration when, when Jesus comes back, when the kingdom comes down to earth, and that banquet hall will be full, and we will rejoice in that, in his grace. But what is Jesus' story that would tell us? Two reasons To pursue humility. Number one, there's a personal reason and a corporate reason. The personal reason is because his banquet is for the humble, not the proud. The people who came in were either poor, crippled, blind, lame, or they were people who'd never even heard of the host. They were people who didn't feel qualified to be there. The people who felt qualified shut themselves out. They said, I don't need that. So the only people who get into the the feast at the end of time are those who are humble. Now, this is what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we earn salvation by being humble. I'm not saying go out and volunteer to help uh, the poor and the homeless and and people who are struggling, and and then God says, okay, checkbox, you come on in. No, what it's saying is if there isn't a desire in you to become more humble than you are right now, to forget about yourself and to put others first and to spotlight God, then you should ask yourself, have I ever actually been born again? If instead your thought is, I'm a really good person and I'm successful and I'm doing great and I just need a little Jesus to get me across the bar into heaven, that's not salvation. Salvation is amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. I am nothing without Jesus, but with Him I am everything. If you don't have that desire to become more humble, then ask yourself, have I ever really been saved? And I mean this. I don't usually say this because I'm not in the business of making people doubt their salvation, and I don't doubt the salvation of anybody here, but I do know that it's likely there are people in a room this size who are counting on their own works, maybe their own uh, good upbringing, uh, maybe their own doctrinal correctness, or their religious acts, and what they really need is to come before God as a broken sinner for the first time. And this may be your only chance to do that, the last chance you have. So the first reason we should pursue humility, because his banquet is for the humble, not the proud. If you've never humbled yourself, today's the day. The second reason, a corporate reason, is because a prideful church won't reach lost people. See, God is a God of grace. He prepared a banquet, an everlasting celebration for people who don't deserve it in any way. It's a celebration so special, He paid the highest possible price by laying down His life for us at the cross. His heart is to get as many people into that party as will come. And He's called us, not the angels, not somebody else, He's called us to fill his banquet hall, to bring the people in. But we can't do that if we're full of pride. Only a humble church will win lost souls. Now, don't get me wrong. A prideful church can get big, can draw a crowd, but they're not drawing them to the gospel. Maybe the the crowd gets big because that's the place to be. Maybe the crowd gets big because the programs are so good. Maybe the crowd gets big because there's some other tangible benefit on earth. But only a church that's humble is going to put the spotlight on God's grace and the true gospel. And that's the only place, that's the only church that saves people. Only a church that's striving for humility will introduce sinners to a God of grace. And when you choose to grow in humility, you're helping to make our church the kind of church that can reach a lost and dying world. You help us become a church that shows Jesus the Savior to everyone we come across.